Welcome to Recovery Connections Podcast, the show that provides information about helping you in substance abuse treatment. For more information, please visit drughelp.info. Now, here are your hosts, Recovery Connection CEO Michael Breyer and Chief Clinical Director Greg Grouston. Welcome to Recovery Connection Podcast, where we talk about substance abuse treatment. My name is Michael Breyer. I'm CEO of Recovery Connection. I'm here with my partner, Greg Raustein, who's Chief Clinical Director over at Recovery Connection. And we are in episode number 10. 10, 10, 10. Can you believe it? (laughs) So today's episode is True Life. And we are going to be taping this episode for you. And this might be one of these episodes that might be ever changing as you listen to it. So you might hear it the first time and you will just hear the two of us talking about typical stories about people as they go through substance abuse treatment, their histories. And God willing, we find a few people who are willing to be kind enough to share some of their stories with you. And we are going to be supplementing this podcast and this video with their stories in addition to that. So stay tuned, <laughs> listen to this numerous times, keep it on your library list of podcasts that you want to keep listening to. And we'll be really appreciative anyways. So, True life stories. Let me just start off by saying, hey, you're probably not the only one listening to this or watching this who has ever been abusing drugs before. I can only speak for myself, but I've been down that road. I know what it's all about. (laughs) I have to say that in my time, though, we didn't have as many good drugs as they do now that were so strong and so powerful. And quite honestly, I would be scared out of my mind right now to be doing some of the drugs that are on the market right now. I don't have that kind of a background. I do have enough of a background. I toured with the dead for a number of years. I've done more LSD than I can even count. (laughs) I've done heroin. I've been down that road. And the path is just not, it's usually a lifetime path. This is not usually just a period of time path. It's not one of those things that you can say, oh, I've done it. I've conquered it. I'm done with it. I'll never do it again. No, it doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, in all of our lives, things pop up and we always think about going back to the way things were because that's just our natural inclination. We always go back to the original as opposed to the new and improved version. So let me just describe to you a couple case stories and maybe you can identify with this. And this is just based on a summary of cases that of patients that actually come in seeking treatment. And typically a patient would probably start using usually experimentally smoking pot, maybe snorting a couple lines when they're 15, 16, 17. That's about the age that I started. And eventually you start moving on to stronger and stronger 
drugs because that's just the natural process here. And you might go from marijuana, go to cocaine. From cocaine, you'll start taking some pills. Ecstasy, speed, meth. Try numerous different things down the road. Luckily for me, I could never shoot any drugs into my veins because I am just a scaredy cat. And I always was a scaredy cat, so that's the one thing that always saved me. So that didn't mean you could actually not smoke marijuana, uh, smoke heroin back in the day, but I would never shoot it just because I was too scared of it. Going Using my nose was not a problem. Putting it into my vein, that was always an issue. So people get to the steps along the way of getting to the stronger and stronger drugs over time. It's not normal for most patients to start out and say, hey, I started shooting heroin before I actually smoked a joint. That's not a normal course. And as our substance abuse treat, our substance abuse gets worse and worse, we start to go through periods where we need to start seeking out treatment. And it might be family or friends that are trying to push us to get some type of treatment. It also could be governmental agencies, I guess. Even work where employees at work will discover that you're lacking and you divulge that you have an addiction. So they have EAP programs that invite you to go seek treatment and still try to maintain your job. Right. But a lot of us, what happens is we get in trouble. We wind up going to jail for some period of time. We need to get some type of help at that point. Either, well, nowadays, some of the states, uh, you can actually get treatment in jail, believe it or not. But most of them still frown upon that idea and actually will say to you as part of your probation process, hey, you need to go out and seek treatment. And whether that's methadone or Suboxone or whatever other treatment you decide to go for, that would be the process. A lot of us have other issues that we're dealing with, anxiety, depression, and things like that. We might start mixing our benzo medications along with our opioid medications and get ourselves into a crazy state of, oh my God, what the hell's going on in life and seek out psychiatric help, going to a psychiatric hospital for some type of inpatient treatment for a few days to just try to clean ourselves out, then getting referred to some type of outpatient facility. And instead of doing that, what we do is we wind up going back out on the streets, hanging out with the same people, wind up using again for a period of time until some other episode happens in our life. And we might go through the whole process again, and we might go back to that psychiatric hospital. We wind up in the emergency room of some hospital on one Saturday night because we use too much. And we'll schedule ourselves to go get treatment again. We might even start the process of getting treatment. We might even do it for a few weeks. And then we say, you know what? This sucks. Let's, I don't know. Let's start using again. It's just simpler. I, I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm not ready for changing of my life. And you'll go back to it. And another period of time is going to elapse. And you're going to say to yourself, oh, this life sucks and I want to get some help. And now you might make a more concerted effort to actually get some help. And this time you're actually going to stick with it for a little bit longer. And you might stay with treatment for six months. You might even stay with it for a year. 
And could be that even during that year though, yeah, you don't have work. You wind up doing the wrong thing. You do a breaking and entering. You wind up going back to, you know, prison for another 60, 90 days. Could be a violation of probation, which is a pretty common thing that happens. And you get off of the routine of coming into getting treatment on a continuous basis. What happens when you get off of the routine is it's hard to get back on the routine. And this is a never ending cycle that happens to a lot of people that usually the success stories of which we have many success stories, but I can't think of more than maybe a couple and literally like less than a handful of success stories that are straight success where somebody's using illicit drugs or even illicit drugs, I mean, using oxys or perks and somehow magically seeks treatment, gets off of it and lives their life and never has another problem again. I have a hard time even remembering who those people are. So I'm not even sure I have five to fill up one hand here. And that's out of thousands of people that I've read their cases or I've personally know these people to know what their stories are. So I don't want you to think there's no difference in your life than so many other people. There's a lot of common, common threads, as you'd like to say, when you look at the background history of a lot of the patients where you might not all be the same ages or backgrounds or things like that, but the path of using illicit drugs to the point of abusing them, it's fairly similar. It's, there's not that many other ways to get there other than the normal progression from one drug to the other. Now, that's... I would add to the other progressions would be from under a medical care. All right. So as someone who's had uh, sought treatment for a medical issue. Right. So then, let's, let's go down that road then too, because I, I think that's a good one too, which is we all know Purdue Pharma and if we're going to badmouth them, yeah, that's okay. They can sue us because they're in bankruptcy anyways. <laughs> but <well>. obviously, <laughs> Making money on the, on, the, on the... So that family became very wealthy by abusing people out there and prescribing lots of medication for pain reliever out there and people got hooked on the medication and unfortunately and what, a, and what a progression and a progression of patients in that frame where it might have been more the, the person that has that job and and has got the injury and has a high standing job and it becomes opiate dependent and then it comes out as the loss of family the loss of a marriage that is tragedy they, that they're cycling in that way. They might not be in and out of rehab as much as because they go off to a special villa because their high insurance can pay for that for a couple of weeks of recovery and then they come back. But the real tragedy is the other impact to their entire environment that was to the family and the marriage and in that nature. That person then may seek opiate dependency treatment. Yeah, I, I, think, I think in the, the end, while they might not go to rehab as much or relapse as many times maybe as an experimental drug user, I don't think the discrepancy between the two of them is that great that you can actually differentiate them as like one's over here and one's over here. Right. I think it's more like one's here and one's like really close by the other one because quite honestly, unfortunately, opioid addiction, once it hits you, you'll 
the people who are on the medicated prescribed opioids when you can't get those anymore the only path to go to is either treatment or you go over to that other side which is it's like right across the bridge there you just cross the bridge and you just start picking up some bags of heroin and you don't remember that you needed percocets as opposed to needing heroin it's there it, is no difference between that person when the body becomes tolerant and, and, and has a tolerance of opiates and that the person that might be uh, down on their luck or the CEO that's addicted to opiates, they have the same problem. Their body became dependent to have that opiate and it's level of services or level of care or level of uh, of ability of that patient, uh, of that person to take care of themselves or continue to cycle themselves in and out of recovery. Is the CEO is going to cycle in and out of recovery as well as the other person that might be uh, homeless. And it, it, there's no difference. The body itself. I mean, you'll see that in almost any office that you go to, or at least any you know reputable office that you go to, you'll see a guy who might be a lawyer making $300,000 a year sitting right across in the waiting room from somebody who's homeless, who's got his bags right there next to him in the chair, which is literally all the possessions that he owns in the world. And there's no difference when they walk into the doctor or the counselor's office on how they're going to get treated. It's almost carbon copy, quite honestly. Right. And the other off-branch, what we talked about before, it's 60% comorbidity. That means a mental health issue. Underlying the whole scenario is people that have had to deal with personal issues, major, maybe a major mental illness or a major mental flaw that they are not addressing and they're covering it up with opiates that they used opiates to cover that and then their body becomes dependent. That path is, is taken by a number of people that we can get stabilized and then we find the other underlying behavior that we can work on and to address as well. So we all need support and we all need issue. We all dealing with our own personal issues, be it family, be it friends, be it environment or employment. And we need support. And sometimes even the person that has been, has PTSD that has some major trauma in their life. And we all have at some point in time have lost family members and having to deal with the strain and stress of loss and how we react to it and not put drugs in the way of trying to band-aid it. And then instead of getting a band-aid by drugs, you end up with creating a major issue. Yeah. And hopefully some of the stories that we bring forth are people in all these types of approaches on how they became dependent and are now fighting to recover their lives. Literally, when it comes to to substance abuse, it's not discriminatory. It it has no problem with affecting anybody from a guy making a million dollars a year. And I've seen them in the office, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. I I mean, I've seen them, you know, being freely admitting that they're just shooting up heroin each day to make it through a day of work to people who are down on their luck, who are suffering all types of other They have all types of mental issues that they're dealing with on a daily basis, all types of income issues, all types of just self-esteem issues that they have to deal with. I find (laughs) they both look the same to me. Him and I, we're the same guy because if, if we're sitting here in the office and we need treatment, then there's no difference here. And you should always remember that and not feel that somebody can't understand your situation. No, 
we can all understand your situation because your situation is the same as our situation on the other side of the desk. So always keep that in mind and always remember that there's help for you. I know this was a little bit more of a depressing episode. <laughs> well, hopefully we're now going to be able to add in stories where you feel uh, that the stories of people talking about themselves and their fight and their plight and uplifting experience to how they finally sought treatment and that are, are w still with us that are able to say, this is what I did, this is how I did it, and this is now where I'm at. And now this is why I'm back to being a, a progressive active member of the community and what I've regained from supports and practices like ours to, to what they've gained within their families and their life. So hopefully we can also have that experience with some of these additions to this podcast. Great. So that was another episode of Recovery Connection Podcasts. That was episode 10, by the way. 10, 10, 10. Anyways, you can check out the library of prior podcasts or future podcasts as we Upload them for your informative nature. Hopefully, it's also enjoyable because we try to make them a little bit enjoyable. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Our phone number is 877-557-3155. Even if you don't live near us, that's fine. Give us a call. We'll be happy to direct you to resources in your area, whatever you're seeking out. Or you can check us out on the web at drughelp.info, D-R-U-G-H-E-L-P.info, I-N-F-O, not .com drughelp.info. That's another episode. Have a great day.